Hi and welcome to episode 30 of Invest in You. Today we are celebrating our 30th episode by doing a marathon episode. Yes, so the episode is around a topic which is very close to my heart, which is called No Money Down. No Money Down means you can do an investment without putting your own money into a project, a deal, a property, refurbishment, whatever it might be. But guess what? There is a trick to no money down. Actually, there are many, many, many tricks. And I will share those while I do a little cross-country road trip. So while recording this episode, uh, I was traveling from London to Sweden, meaning that we covered a, a number of different countries. So the UK, France, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, Denmark, and ultimately Sweden. So it means that you will have a whole range of ideas coming across. It is not structured nor scripted. It is um, uh, a maniac's rambling on a very important topic. It is equivalent of a half book in content. So enjoy almost three hours of stuff that can help you assuming that you like investments etc. Charlie have you got any final comments before we dive straight in? Poor daddy for driving in the car so long. Yeah guess what you will very soon do another marathon episode where you will be (laughs) with me in the car. Yeah so then it will be poor daddy (laughs) and Charlie. Alright, this is episode number 30 of the podcast Invest in You. In the car only, Frederick, Sandval, but with lots of ideas. Take care, check it out. Okay, hi guys, this is Frederick Sandval with Invest in You podcast. This is a special episode, uh, it's done with me, myself, and I, all three of us. It's uh, called The Road Trip no money down and uh, there are no shortcuts. So my name is Fredrik Sandvall, I am one of the founders and, and people behind Invest in You. Today I will not have Ivan and Charlie with me and uh, the reason why this is a road trip uh, it's because I have decided after a very long working day that now is the time to go to Sweden. So I would like you to join me for this trip where I will go from uh, London, UK, to France, over to Belgium, from there to Netherlands, and from there a quite long stretch through Germany, further on to Denmark and to Sweden. So that means uh, quite a few countries. So UK, France, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, Denmark, Sweden. That's seven countries, and uh, this usually takes around 20 hours plus so I'm anticipating a couple of short snippets uh, or uh, a massive long one we will see in the editing. I will talk about the holy grail of investments which is called no money down. So how can you invest the money with no none of your own money? Well simple answer is uh, you can't. Or the other simple answer is, yes you can. The clue and conclusion is you need to work with other people's money. But who am I even to tell you that? 
just give you a little bit brief story about myself and uh, why I might or might not be the right person to share information about this interesting, exciting topic with you. At the time of recording, we are at uh, 2 o'clock, actually 5 minutes to 3 in the morning. I'm just at the Dover uh, port and I'm recording this while I wait for the ferry. Okay, I started with investment quite early on. Everything from uh, buying mutual funds as soon as I can put any money aside. Uh, and then later I migrated into investing in uh, the stock market. I even went so far in terms of learning uh, and trial and error so that I started to do day trading and also long term investments. And yes, you can even do that with other people's money as well. So you might might not be aware that just like a house, a share also represents a value. So for the most common shares, which got a more solid value, they've also got like a loan to value, which means you can leverage your portfolio. For example, if you've got very solid assets, it might mean that you can leverage that to a value of uh, what you have got in terms of shares. Okay, so when you start to leverage things on the stock market, it can also get really uh, dangerous very fast. You can also short sell things, etc. etc. But now is not the right time to explain how to trade in the stock market. We'll leave that for another episode. Coming back to more of my investment history, I started to invest more seriously in property 2012 in the United Kingdom and from there on I have invested a number of million pounds worth of money, well exceeding 10 million with various partners. And I have used extremely little of my own funds which means I have had to find other people's money one way or another it could be the bank so at the moment at the time of the recording uh, I am giving great returns to private individuals very close family and friends uh, a number of sophisticated and high net worth individuals who are qualified investors uh, self-qualified or properly qualified uh, who have all shown the, the proof of funds uh, and uh, mutually agreed to do business together. We've also got people who have got pension money which we either have helped by, through partners to unlock or they have already unlocked their pension funds themselves for example with SIP uh, or SAS funds. In a similar way we also work with uh, uh, trusts. A trust is of course just another tax efficient vehicle which can have for example pension funds or other funds available. One other reason is I have accumulated experiences not only from doing this on my own. I've also been coaching uh, around 25 people pri privately one-to-one -one, and uh, many hundreds of people uh, in, in a one-to-many setting. 
I've also been uh, allowed to teach, uh, for example, Simon Such's Mastermind program, which is a 12-month program, uh, and also facilitating those sessions, translating the learning material, how you can apply it in the very competitive city of London in the United Kingdom. While doing all of these things, uh, I've been growing uh, almost 10 different businesses one way or another. So I do a few things around how to raise money. I even spotted that there's a huge blind spot in the marketplace where if you like to learn how to find other people's money, you can do like uh, have a coach or a mentor, you can read a book or, or 10 books on the topic, but often it lacks the substance of like exactly how to do it. As everything from from language patterns to qualification to where do you even find these people. And you can also do like one or two day trainings. But I noticed that training plus no accountability, no mentoring or coaching usually leads to not much results. So I designed a 12 month program called Next Level, which involves understanding various ways how to on a high level and also on a very tactical level raise finance in different ways, shapes and forms. And now of course I'm not the only person teaching on the programs, I'm bringing friends and other experts on each area how to do this effectively. Okay, so having said all of those things, let me dive into the actual content. No money down, other people's money, those are concepts that have been discussed over and over and over. Um, if you don't put any money into a, a deal, there is no deal usually. There is always some kind of transaction of funds one way or another, also called consideration. And it can be everything from one pound upwards. It can also mean that there might be a substantial amount of money which will change hands, but it might not be yours. And you can add, for example, time and knowledge and negotiation skills and other things to a deal. So the money might not ultimately come from your pocket. You might also have other assets that you're leveraging. For example, you might have a property which can be a security. And quite often using the overall equity and assets that I have accumulated over the years. Just to give you a brief explanation how that might work. So I have the philosophy not to be too highly geared or leveraged. Which means I got a number of my different investment mortgages and loans on uh, some kind of repayment structure. In this case, you can use the portfolio in many different ways. So as I have reduced the amounts and I never maximized them uh, either, which means, for example, you can, uh, on a property you can have a first and second charge, you can have other multiple charges. I have so far not had to use so-called second charges. 
you can also have like restriction on a property etc so you can as an investor really safeguard your interest in many ways and shapes you can also have like a guarantee or some kind of debenture over uh, a business so there are ways how you as an investor can safeguard your in assuming that you are leveraging someone else's deal uh, time or knowledge so having all of those things uh, cleared out I just like to come back to how do you even find some kind of deal so I am investing personally in businesses uh, startups and also in uh, property or as we say in the US real estate how does stuff work? Obviously, I often use a formula which I call the 5F formula. And this applies both to a business purchase. It can also link to, uh, it's specifically designed for how to do property deals. I call it the 5F formula. And they are very straightforward. At high level, number one is find and that is to find the actual whatever you're going to purchase and acquire that also includes of course to analyze the deal if it makes sense or not it also involves how to negotiate it i'll dive deeper in a short while the next step is how to fund number two is funding how to come up with a funding solution for whatever you intend to acquire that can be uh, debt it can be equity it can be working with cash, it can be a loan, a mortgage, it can be so many different ways. It can also be done with a broad range of interests and layers of finance of different categories in terms of risk. And often higher risk usually means that you need to pay more for your money. Fine, you have done number one and two. Now let's move on to number three, which is to fix whatever it is and the fixed stage is if you are working in property or real estate it is all around for example to do a renovation a restoration a refurbishment you might also add value using skills such as planning uplift you might extend the property upwards to the rear to the sides or downwards you might also move around the interior design to be better purposely done for what you intend to use the property for. So for example we are using a number of units where you multi-let a property. So we're taking a house and redesigning it into nice rooms with showering facilities, bathrooms and ultimately often a shared kitchen so that meaning that many professionals can live in the same house even if they can also have their own private space so that is the the fixing and if you relate fixing to a business that can be everything to doing cost savings changes in the staff structure it can often be linked to becoming better at debt collection it can also mean that you improve the cash flow so you're faster at collection and you negotiate better terms so that you can pay later 
fantastic models of this can for example be seen in the, in the retail sector where many of the the shops both get the the products they sell it and they still might have 30 60 90 days to actually pay the bill so moving on to the f number four that is either to flip with other words to sell something for a profit so that is a trading profit or it can also be that if you would like to maintain it it's around filling it and if it's a business is filling it with more purpose energy uh, the right direction if it is in property it's filling with the right kind of tenants to ensure that you also got a right structure in place which hopefully means using as little time as possible from yourself. And last but not least, we've got the F number five, which is flourish. I have come across at least four different people who got the first four Fs fairly similar, or they might use different other words for roughly the same sequence. Why? Because it's logical, it makes sense, my take on exactly the same thing is adding the flourish and another bonus one which I will mention in a moment. So the flourish is using your knowledge or your partner's knowledge or coming up with really creative ways how to add substantial amount of value. For example seeing things that other people can't see. Having extraordinary level of financial IQ or be really business savvy. It can also be having unique skills and talents that adds to the deal in one way or another. In an interview on a podcast, another podcast, I came up with a, a, a bonus one which is fudge factors, which basically means like stuff will happen across all of these different F's uh, within and between them. And uh, it's not a perfectly linear approach either because often you would like to secure the funding and the, what you find at uh, an optimal time really. So the fudge factor is just uh, all the what-ifs that can happen. It's like we in the military say contingencies and uh, you also got other plans how to deal with things. Okay, so that's the five F's plus the bonus number six. What else do we need to think about? So, put yourself in the shoes of a potential investor. Why would they ever like to give you any money at all? You don't look like a bank. You don't appear like a bank. Or do you? There are many aspects of how to do this. So if you take the best from what we can see in the financial sector, what is good and common practice, and you apply that. For example, it does make sense to act and to be behaving professionally. It does make sense to have collateral which shows that you're professional. It also helps, of course, if you can present this in a coherent way. And also, ideally, take many of the normal objections 
into your actual presentation and present it in the right and, and easily understandable way. And uh, beyond that, things to consider is why would people like to do business with you? You would like to build trust. Trust is so important in this case. So I've designated two, two years of writing and fine-tuning into a book which is talking just about how to work with trust. We call it Trust is a New Currency and I really would like to have the book title to be just simply Trust is Currency. The reason for that is trust has always been almost like a currency that you can trade with. And the book is all around how to build trust, attract the right partners and create wealth through business and investments. And I'm not here to talk about the book, but high level thinking, you really need to have trust. I'll come back to that in a moment. Beyond having that level of trust, you need to know what you can offer. And like in any kind of negotiation, it might actually be a negotiation. At the time of recording this, I got less than one month until I will join one of the master classes at Harvard Law School. So that, that's their highest level of negotiation training. And I really can't wait to bring some of those learnings to you, lovely podcast audience, and share some of the thoughts of uh, academia and business practitioners uh, back to you. So now you have the trust. You have prepared for, for the presentation. So coming back to what I was about to say, you might have like a range. Or you might just have one simple figure. The reason why a range might make sense is some people will have different level of appetite for risk. I have, for example, come across people where I was offered them 6% on an annual basis, on a straight loan basis, again to a high net worth individual. And this person said, I'd rather take 5% and put it into a deal which is slightly more... Uh, well, low risk, and I found that really interesting to see that you can really see that some people are really risk aware and risk averse, and other people are really keen to jump into something else. Just to give you an indication, normally in my point of view, anything from 5% upwards, you need to start to look into, like, can they actually deliver on this? I've noticed that at the moment you can normally find anywhere between 4 to 12% for long term investments for, for pensions if you put in into real estate. You can also find like wild cards, temporary solutions, short term gains which might be well in excess of what I just mentioned. It might be from 8% to 12 to 15 or 20 and when I did my own averages in terms of return on the funds uh, deployed uh, come up with uh, an average of 37% return on the deals that we've been doing which means that if you do a property purchase and you do things right you can actually refinance at a not too high level and still get the original investment money out and that is in my point of view one of the holy grails of property investing where the speed of money, the velocity uh, really means that you can use the money 
more often. So instead of buying a property, waiting and hoping, gambling that with time price will change in your favor and then eventually you can refinance and get the money out. What we try to do instead is take it from step number one, how we find things. We often buy at the right level, which means we might save 15 to 20% to 25% sometimes as a discount. And that discount of, of the purchase of the land or the property will always be there. If you buy right, when you fun, find it right and negotiate the whole deal, that is a, a massive great starting point. The next is, of course, the whole funding package. So if you think about as a deal maker, you really want to keep the interest that you offer to any investor and bank etc as low as you possibly can as an average. That might mean that you have got different levels so you might have a first charge which is safe for the, the investor uh, or bank and that ultimately means that you can get uh, a low rate for that and then you might have other layers of finance. It's not too rare that you might have a second charge or you might have so-called mezzanine finance. And then you might also have the very tip of the iceberg where you also might have very expensive funds because that's ultimately really high risk. And that is basically someone else putting in the final slice of the equity. So having that mix, the blended mix and the right funding in place can make a huge difference all right and that can often do more than five percent difference to the whole deal and then we move on to the next one which is fixing i have on a number of occasions been more involved in the actual project management of the, the build and sourcing materials and when i have i will say on average i've been able to cut the cost with between 40 and 50 percent compared to what what has been quoted without my interference. So assuming that you can cut the cost with say 40 percent you make another huge saving. Moving on to the next step and talk about really optimizing how to for example fill a property and how to flip them. Of course if you like to flip it it would ideally be staged you might also really time it well with with the season where you usually have highest market activity so yes the timing and how you present it can make a huge difference those things can of course be brought also into learning how you can fill it so as we often work with the model where we refinance we try to peak the rates for um, uh, tenants or companies that are, are letting. Why? Because if that initial rent level, because we really enhance the quality of the house and the customer service and now allowing us to have uh, very much premium rates on, uh, on the rents and uh, ultimately that means that the rent might be 20, 40, 80% higher than the average in the local market just because you do all of those things extra. 
Okay, let's rewind. Saving, say 10% when you buy. Saving 25% on the build. Saving 10%, 20% on the total capital cost, or even more. And then really maximizing the value. All of those factors together make a huge difference. When I was working with Special Forces, we were taught that the difference between amateurs and professionals is the attention to details. There's also a book written in Sweden by a person called Jan Karlsson uh, talk about how Scandinavian airlines have uh, grown with 1000%. It was not quite true, but what Jan did, he had 1000 things being improved by 1%. So that means that ultimately SAS increase the performance with 1000%, right? So by paying attention to all of those details across all of those factors makes a huge difference. And then we still haven't mentioned the number five there, where the niche knowledge might make a huge difference. Just to take one live deal example of something which is not closed yet, but it might well be. It's agreed, but subject to people signing the option agreement and subject to planning, uh, the the original investment can be multiplied with yeah another six noughts uh, plus plus change so the the investment the absolute niche knowledge and negotiation and everything that has taken place means that a really minimal investment can turn into a, a multi-million profit and that's an excellent example of the flourishing thing okay so this whole episode is around no money, none of your own money into a deal. Uh, that is of course easier to achieve. Coming back to your track again, your track record makes a huge difference. Many people I'm working with, and uh, especially when I'm coaching and teaching, they like to do the first deal so they can prove to other people that I have done this before. That of course makes huge sense. Still, one of the best advice that I would like to give to myself and to other people, and this is my favorite advice, if you like to do something and you would like to save yourself both time and headache, find the best person who is doing what you would like to do and do it with them. What does that mean? You can find years or decades of knowledge and learning in someone's head or even more hundreds of, of years of experience in a team that you tap into instead of reinventing the wheel. The absolutely fantastic thing with both coaching and mentoring and business partnerships is you don't need to repeat other people's business mistakes. You can pay one way or another to not have to pay for your own mistakes and I find that really interesting as, as a concept. So I say that one more time. Find the best person who is doing what you want to do and do it with them. And then you can always decide once you've tried that once and you can always de-risk that you can come up with some kind of smart setting that really works for both of you or all three of you so that after the first project you can choose to do another one in a similar way or another one and tweak. You can of course also take the learning from having done it once and now try to do it on your own. I find that more useful and successful. Having observed 
how people have become really successful. This is a pattern that uh, is far more likely to give success than just to try to figure out on your own. Also observing people that try to work with no money down strategies. Often it is the, the both cleverness, presentation technique, confidence, trust, grind that allows people to succeed. Therefore, the, the people that I've seen more successful have generally been either having a much stronger reason why or they might have a better setup with stronger team uh, ultimately allowing them to be more successful. Uh, to have uh, a coach or mentor really helps as well, a lot. So I've been working for example with one family. They did all the doing but I just gave them some hints along the way uh, through both coaching and mentoring and they more than doubled the, the family portfolio. So they did more in one year than they had done in 20 years without that kind of hand holding. Obviously they already had a portfolio which they could leverage. Uh, I can come in from the side. It's very easy to point out a couple of things which can be done differently. And uh, they were very active to act on the advice. They were also proactive to find new and other ways. Ultimately to have a fantastic year in, in my point of view. So it was a, a great joy to celebrate success with them after that year. And this is not to blow my own trumpet. I just like to show that that's just a fantastic example of where people are keen to change, adopt to the market a new knowledge, how the success can be uh, extraordinary. I've also been working with many other people who've been moving from a very much a cold start in terms of investments and accumulating multi-million portfolios in, uh, in less than a year as well. Obviously it's so much easier when you've got anything to leverage. It can be knowledge, it can be portfolio, uh, it can be your team, or why not all of the above. So now we have covered a lot of more details. This whole episode is completely unscripted. Uh, I'm still at the, the ferry terminal at Dover. Okay, so let's do a couple of case studies of working with other people's money. Starting first with uh, an example of a startup company. Different countries have got different ways how to, with tax incentives, help people to invest in deals such as very early startups or uh, late, late start startups as well, where you can uh, invest at the seed stage or at the early stage. Later on you can have more mature businesses where you can invest money as well. And uh, I'd like to work first with uh, an example of uh, a friend and uh, a colleague who is buying businesses and there he is using for example assets inside the business to fund the purchase and very often he can find a business which is not in the best possible shape meaning that for example assets inside the business can be financed so for example a lease option 
So you might have uh, vehicles, you might have computers, you might have other things which can be used as uh, uh, basically almost like a drawdown facility. So that's one way to free up money in a business. Of course to have property that's more, even more straightforward. You can also have other models how you can free up money. For example to sell your um, short term invoices. Meaning that you can free up the money today that will be paid in the future obviously with a discount. So with all of those small bits and pieces uh, the person I've got in mind he often buys businesses for uh, just a pound, which is the, the, the small consideration or even uh, a so-called uh, a peppercorn because usually needs to be a consideration for a transaction to be valid. That's uh, where the, the peppercorn uh, comes from, for example, in property when you do some kind of option deal. Okay, back to an example from uh, an early stage uh, investment. In some parts of the world the business focuses more to raise capital than to actually increase real sales. I am a very strong advocate of having real good sales as underlying reason to invest in any business. I invest in the team, the idea, the tech and scalability and last but not least level of sales or sales potential. Ideally they're already up and running and they have got real sales as proof of concept. For me, having a great team, ideally tech or scalability, plus uh, sustainable sales and uh, a theoretical, hypothetical, huge growth potential. I really, really dislike to see that they have taken... Well, it's great if they have done the research and seen how much is the total market size and what will be their share of wallet or share of the market and um, for those of you slightly more uh, experienced in terms of investing in businesses uh, i would probably ask you can you see a show of hands who has seen yes and uh, we will get one percent of the total total market size or one percent of the total size of the market in china or in india which means like often the, the business revenue turns into phenomenal but in paper but they might not have done their first sale yet uh, that's why i turn against that as uh, future trends in terms of where the company will be in the in the cash flow analysis five years in the future is completely silly and ridiculous it's great to see the business owners have done the effort to do the research but usually they they are not worth the paper they're written on and, and the people that are investors are more aware of that often than the, the founders of the business themselves. Yet, so many people are looking for that unicorn. At the same time, more than 90% of all businesses founded uh, are not lasting for the first five years. The companies that are turning over £1 million in sales after and they're still alive after five years then we're down to just percentages if we're talking about businesses that have survived the first five years not only having a healthy turnover but for example one million pound profit 
which is very different to 400 million pound turnover, then we are probably down to the one and two percent or even fraction of a percentage out of all the businesses that started five years ago. With that in mind, any kind of seed investment is really high risk. Hence that there are lots of tax breaks around that. An early investment is again they they passed like the, the the seed stage they might have the proof of concept done and uh, just to take a, a real case example of uh, one business i've been working with recently and uh, at the at the time when i was entering the the management team uh, it was uh, let's use a benchmark of, of one pound in a relatively short time frame uh, the value of the business for different factors uh, more than tripled in a short time frame yes because more rigor more robustness more real sales and a stronger team added to things uh, just add slightly more time and then the multiple is up up at eight and this is of course only doable if you come in at a really early stage just like to take the example i was scanning this whole market space in terms of who are ticking my own boxes the right team the right tech scalability and actual real sales and they're still at a really early stage with that filter in mind uh, i could rule out some other players who were a couple of years ahead in the track which gives of course more safety but less potential uplift if you just look upon like uh, how much does it take to double a business so for example a business with a valuation of, of 1 million that turn into 2 million is way easier than to take a 10 million pound business into a 20 million pound business basically just doubling the money or if you take a 50 million pound business to turn it into a 100 million is it's quite a substantial step as well so therefore if you can find the 1 million pound business at that time which has still got the potential to in theory be turning into a 50 or 100 million business that means you now have a 50 or 100 times multiply which is way more interesting than uh, to, to double your money from 50 to 100 million so compare uh, a 50 times your money versus uh, two times your money i know which one i would pick all right so i have been with quite a few businesses on this journey uh, another another business uh, in, the, in the technology space and uh, online sales almost like a platform uh, when I entered them uh, super rough the valuation was around uh, 50,000 pounds with just engaging external people thereby think about what is the business worth one way to, to benchmark it is just supply and demand okay the next part of the recording I am right now on the ferry traveling between Dover and Calais so leaving the nice white cliffs of Dover and heading out into the darkness it's um, a quarter past four in the morning I'm on my second day so if uh, anything I say doesn't make sense don't worry it's on purpose okay what else do we need to think about 
we have so far covered the five F's. We have covered some of the basics in terms of how you sort out your own uh, persona, your profile, uh, some of your collateral. And now I'd like to mention, for example, how you can also add to your own credibility by working on your online social capital and also your capital working with others. What does that actually mean? For starters, you can just Google your own name. It's an interesting exercise and that helps you to hopefully see that you uh, might even not find yourself or you might have a very common name. And the only way to get around that is to, what we say, out-content everyone else. That means that you try to be the whole first page yourself, ideally with things and content that you've chosen. For example, some of the platforms which rank really highly, therefore you should pay extra attention to them and what you are putting on those platforms. We have got uh, Google as one example. Google obviously is ranking Google content much higher. For example, you might have a YouTube channel that's usually ranked really high. Another thing which many people underestimate and forget is Google Plus. The Google Plus can also have, uh, in some aspects, uh, reviews and also, depending on how high you are ranked, you can also have additional benefits with that. LinkedIn is another one which, just because of the traffic is, is huge, uh, ends up really high there. So therefore, if you've got your name and you can also, as you probably know, you can change your job title into whatever you want in uh, in the settings so the default if you write nothing it will pick up your job title and the company you might want to write what you actually do so for example myself I'm a deal maker I'm an investor I also like to help other people to achieve uh, more in their team their life and with their investments I try to kind of capture that also LinkedIn, which means that can be ranked and found quite easily if you Google Frederick Sandwell. And uh, Frederick has got the Swedish spelling, so that's F-R-E-D-R-I-K. And the surname is Sandwell, S-A-N-D-V-A-L-L. Feel free to check it out. And uh, who knows what you might find. All the other social media platforms are of course ranked highly as well. So take control of the first page. So we have, for example, had a guest called Stacy. She's worked with branding, as mentioned in that podcast. Uh, she very much owned the whole first page with her own, her own name, of course. And also she's chosen a brand of her company, which has got a unique spelling, which means same thing there. It is so rare that it's very unlikely that anyone else will have exactly the same combination. So please also Google your company. We have the recent uh, little happening that has happened 
where someone was googling the company name and they found a company in a different country which actually had poor reviews and therefore they assumed that this business had uh, a poor reputation which was absolutely not the case at all with only happy customers and lots of strong advocates uh, they made a, a hasty and, and wrong conclusion so yeah, just be aware of your social footprint and that's something you can really work with as well I suggest uh, that you might have a quick read on a book called KPI, Key Person of Influence, written by Daniel Priestley. This book uh, can help you to get some ideas how you can think about your own position, your brand. You can also think about how you can take your products and turn it into like more of a portfolio from everything from free products to your absolute most premium ones. Uh, we also have how you can uh, pitch in a more effective way, how you can publish things, uh, also how we can work with different partners, etc. etc. So I see that as uh, essential read for anyone who'd like to build a stronger personal brand. Okay, so now we sort of the social aspect of things uh, linked to your personal brand. Some of the things I am doing uh, to reinforce my own position, partly because, of course, I really enjoy sharing and helping others, is to speak, present, and uh, that allows you to pitch in in a in a public space. And by being on stage and in front of the room, you are in much better position, really, to to influence uh, your. Uh, you have been chosen by the event to be the main speaker or, or one of the contributing speakers therefore you must be good and that basically that's the badge of honor and I have had so many times where people have been approaching me because I've been the speaker they've been connecting to the content they have seen the value in what I offer uh, and people have been approaching me with various propositions after after any presentation so yeah presentation is a great way uh, another way to do it is of course to publish things online video photos anything to add to your credibility and try to stay away from the tempting things of, of stupid funny pictures of yourself when you're too drunk or whatever you don't drink alcohol so for me it's quite simple but it's quite easy to be found out uh, in, in a position where you might not want to see yourself Okay, all of that being uh, good and uh, well, so we've sorted out like the credibility, the trust in yourself. Uh, you need to now present the deal in a way which is understandable. Usually, people really look for more than anything what's like the worst that can happen, the downside. So, therefore, you need to mitigate the, the risk. You need to present how you are ensuring that the risk works for them. Uh, it, it needs to be on the risk level which they're comfortable with and th that can often be managed by offer them the security to match what they what they want many people don't know what they want initially but you can play out a couple of different scenarios so one thing you actually can do is talk about the worst case you might actually die what will happen in that case well we've got the legally binding document which will safeguard 
my interest, your interest, so actually the, the estate, your, your family will still have a claim on, for example, a loan. You might even go so far so that you have a life cover for this designated person in this specific deal. It won't cost you uh, an arm and a leg to have life cover for two years for maybe a hundred thousand pounds. It won't cost you that much and it will give you reassurance that you will actually also deliver on that promise and you don't need to worry about that if worse come to worse. So managing the risk, explaining the risks and also being really honest about like what are the risks and I pretty much always try to put in the disclaimer that your capital is at risk. This, I mean one of the words you should try to stay away from is guaranteed, guaranteed interest or guaranteed profit or guaranteed, just yeah, stay away from the word guaranteed because you have no idea what will happen in reality. And often I find people are more prone to go for rather safe than sorry. So many people are actually keen to have a guaranteed but lower rate of return instead of having uh, a massive risk. Another way to work with this is that you might have a lower fixed element. You might have a so-called coupon where they, assuming everything goes to plan, they will have this extra uplift on top or it might be a variable uplift whatever that might be all right and another thing is like how long time will this money be stuck for example with the business investment the money is stuck in the business unless you actively find a buyer for your shares or if you, against all odds, hit one of the jackpots, the one that makes it all the way to so-called initial public offering, I would say, I'm just guessing, I would say it's absolutely less than one in a thousand companies that actually makes it all the way there, maybe one in, in 10,000 even, because we've got so many sole traders. So extremely few will actually take it all the way to IPO, initial public offering, where you can trade the shares on the stock market in, in an easy way. You might also have, for example, uh, some buyback clause from the owner has got the right to buy back the shares at a premium, yet a discounted rate compared to what it might be in the future. So if they're really positive about their own capability, they might put in like an option agreement where they might be in the position to buy back the shares, whatever that might be. Okay. So far so good and uh, in property it's fairly common to have a, a special purpose vehicle, a so-called SPV, where this company is created for a specific purpose and it is a vehicle for this investment. For example to do a property project, to do a, a series of property trades, but often you try to keep the number of deals inside a company to a, a minimum to allow the company to just live over the duration of the project and then you basically dissolve the company you split up the profits proceedings sort out all the tax effects and then on to the next project so how long time will this investment be for and key recommendation there is 
everything takes longer time than, than you anticipate. I think that most developments take longer time than people think. And that is just because the, the F number six, the fudge factors, excuse my language, but shit happens. Things do happen in reality. Uh, people have different priorities. Uh, things change over time. Alright, so now we covered uh, the time aspect. And another thing that we are really keen to, to focus on, uh, for example, in the company called Sapphire Lending, and also with uh, another company that I'm very much involved in, which is Crowd with us, the crowdfunding platform, uh, Global Sales Consulting, which is like uh, my own holding company. And of course, Samuel Invest, the family holding business. All of those have got different ways to express for how long time will this investment be? What are the exit options? So basically, how will we as potential borrowers ensure that you can actually get the money out of the deal? One normal way in property is, for example, you're selling it. Another normal way is you are doing refinance. Obviously, it can be a combination of those two. Or if you are more professional in terms of your business and uh, you've got a flow of deals and projects, you might have a solution where you have an investor to replace your own funds in a deal, so they will have a great return. Meanwhile, you get your own funds out of the deal, meaning that you might want to use your own funds, which you have unlocked, to repay an investor. Another way to do is obviously <coughs> if you've got everything in order and do things right that you can actually use one investor to replace another one. And I strongly advise if that's what you do that you play very much above board that you allow people to know that the purpose of these funds is to repay another investor which is due in whichever time frame. And I just think that's just very open. I often not often. I always put in the purpose of a loan into the loan agreement. What is the purpose? For example, to do a development or to focus on this specific project on this address. It might be working capital or it might be, like I just mentioned, to replace uh, another investor or to release the, the, the main shareholders' funds for other purposes. Alright, so all those things, well and good. That means now you can move on to another aspect of no money down. There are so many things that you can figure out. The first time I even heard about this concept was when I read uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, probably many of you have heard about it. And uh, this whole idea of no money down is really linked to you source a property at a so-called below market value, assuming that you buy something at a discount, ideally even more than 25% discount, ultimately allows you to do some kind of minor refurbishment or heavy refurbishment, which allow you to refinance out all of the funds. I got many friends who have been doing this for years either to, to flip 
or more commonly in this case to rest refinance and to add to the portfolio so people who got a substantial amount of so-called buy-to-let properties like single-family units etc they have often used this strategy where they have allowed the money to work fast maybe one two three times in in a year okay and uh, here we go again I say it one more time there is no such thing as no money down why well the money has to come from somewhere right so it could be the bank it could be uh, an investor it could be anywhere else and often the banks nowadays thanks to lots of so-called money uh, laundry rules and checks they would like to also to know what is your source of funds and ultimately any bank I know would like you to have so-called skin in the game they want so you to use some of your money and assuming that you got basically a first charge to the bank or maybe 70% and then you for one or the other reason you find some mezzanine finance for another 15% so now you're up to 85% and then you find private money from someone else for the last and final 15% now you're up to 100% lending and you might need to have even more money to pay the, the legals the stamp duty and also maybe refurbishment costs which means you might have 140% lending on an asset that's of course only acceptable assuming that you can ensure that you might make a lot more money than your cost of capital and still have a profit left this is an area where I find many developers uh, are fooling themselves just with super basic maths let's give you an example it is not too rare that people over promise and under deliver I'll just use a mathematical example for simplicity let's work with 12% which means 1% per month and assuming that it's a quite comprehensive project it is taking two years to complete it and uh, the developer is really really pleased because it's a 25% profit on this deal which sounds on face value fantastic right because they could refinance and get all the money out all the investors can be paid back and you can just have a bank loan uh, and you can hold it eh, wrong that's not quite true in this case the loan which I said for for the example is set at 1% per month which means 12% on in this specific case the total amount for example a crowdfunding platform is not too rare to have 12% as the total cost to the developer he might pay 5% to the platform and 7% to the crowd which means that's 12% right and assuming that the fee is also the same for the next year with the platform that means that for both of the years because it was a 24 month project the developer actually pays 24% on the funds and just a quick recap 
the total profit was 25%. So assuming that the developer is forgetting the cost of capital in this uh, analysis stage, meaning that they can very much trick themselves into thinking that this is a fantastic deal, 25% profit, no, not really. In this case, where you got a cost of capital of 12% per annum, two years, that basically means you will have no profit, you will work for nothing, you will have all the risk, and if anything goes wrong, you will be still liable for the 12% times two years. Uh, so, yeah, the cost of capital is essential. And coming back to the second F, the fund X, the funding uh, percentages need to be part of the deal analysis when you uh, measure things, if it's worthwhile to do it or not. Okay, so that was the warning flag around not forgetting cost of capital and keeping the cost of capital average as low as you possibly can. Of course, uh, I often get the question, no money down, but I have got cash, should I buy it cash? Well, you can absolutely buy it cash. And then it's certainly no money did. So then it's certainly a lot of money down, right? And it's not no money down, it's all the money down. But that can later be pulled out of the deal with some kind of refinance. And yes, shows again, so no money down means basically not your money down. But you can actually, of course, use your own funds. It's probably one of the cheapest sources of funds you can have. Generally, to buy completely without leverage allows you to be very fast. And that's true whether you use your own money or someone else's money. So you can also, of course, raise the funds in advance and pay to have it in the bank. I find it very useful as it's negotiation power to show cash in the bank. Okay. If you'd like to invest with very little of your own funds into the deal, you need to be having slightly uh, more uh, creativity. You of course will get much higher value for the money. And uh, how to do this? Well, it's a magic trick. You need to dare to ask other people for the money. Ta -da! No rocket science there really. The, the tough thing with this whole concept is I know so many people who have been taught, in theory, to not find or put their own money into the deal, but it's restricting people so much so that they don't need to, to they don't dare to ask for money. Why? Because people normally don't speak about money. It's very common in the UK. It's more okay to speak about money in the US. I'm born in Sweden where people rarely talk about money either. So since we don't speak about money, we can't learn about money and it's much harder to make money and also to learn from other people's mistakes. Okay, let's change direction a bit. We have now pretty much seen that many people don't get to work with other people's money because they don't dare to ask. What is the worst that can happen? you might get a no. A no is not that bad after all. I've been working in quite tough both business and military situations 
where actually just to hear a no on the telephone or face to face is perfectly fine. Sometimes I got so good relationships with people that I just send them a text message and then let them know that uh, because they already pre-qualified, they're high net worth individuals or sophisticated investors, they might already been working with me in some deal. I also might send them a te text message to say like, uh, right now uh, we got this opportunity available, uh, here are the rates, here are the high level terms, uh, would you like to hear more? And from that super basic text message, I have been able to find funds uh, over and over and over. Uh, but it comes back to you need to have that foundation of trust as we said earlier in this podcast all right uh, that was the Dover Calais no money down quick fire chat with Frederick Sandwell I will now carry on with something to eat and I'll catch you later in France bye for now okay so still on the Dover Calais crossing I just like to share with you 10 ideas linked to how to buy a property using none of your own money so obviously number one you use someone else's money so you borrow money from someone even the, the equity part so that's a uh, super fundamental one Another way to do it, uh, and I do apologize if this sounds too technical, there are lots of books to read around this, so, and um, one way to do it is to do a so-called lease option with a, with a purchase. So a purchase lease option basically means that you will take on the property, you will have all the benefits from the property, but you also have to serve, for example, uh, a debt or anything, so you pay a, a lease fee on a monthly basis, usually to cover the costs of, of the former owner and uh, that means that you can buy this no money down or money further down the line depending on what you agree. Okay, uh, another way to do this is to basically take over an existing mortgage. This is different in different countries whether you can do this or not. Generally if people are close to financial trouble you might be in a strong position to take over an existing mortgage and this is particularly useful if they have got very low interest rates one smart way to deal with that is you might take over uh, a low interest loan and you might ask for a so-called payment holiday on your repayments which means that's a massive uplift to cash flow often missed as an opportunity when you are talking about taking on an existing mortgage you can do those things it's often in in terms and conditions that you can actually do that another way is you can of course take a property and exchange it for another one so just swapping them basically and that's another way to do it with basically not using any cash at all just trading uh, there might be other transaction costs linked to this depending on which country and tax rules uh, applies to you. You might also uh, for example offer uh, your time, skills, knowledge 
as, as a trade to actually get uh, a property. For example, you might provide a service over a longer time. Just coming up with one example, uh, you might have a portfolio landlord and you will manage the landlord's properties in this area in the exchange for one of the properties, which will be yours over time. So again, no money down. Now I, the way to do this is, uh, in the UK it's called uh, vendor finance, in, in America it's often called uh, something else. Uh, often where you get the seller to finance this in part. Meaning that it sounds really strange, but if you think about it, most sellers, what will they do with part of the money? Well, put part of it in the bank. Assuming that there's profit and they got not negative equity, obviously. And what's usually the, the interest rate in the bank? Usually nothing. Therefore, uh, I'm just assuming that your deal is strong enough so that you can pay more than nothing and uh, thereby enabling the deal. So the equity part might come from the seller. Assuming that they got 50% uh, cash or equity in the house and uh, you, you buy it and you take 25% of that money and you give them for example 5% return per annum. They get, get cash flow which is way better than the bank. Over time you might have uh, like a, a drawdown clause or anything so they can just give a notice for you to repay it. And they will still have 25% of the profit in their pocket. They will have monthly cash flow for example and many people would like to have the cash flow prior to have the, the money because if they have the money they're more likely to use it. Another way to do this is of course to offer a much higher price but maybe to pay in stages. So you offer a higher price but that will be paid in a number of installments. Meaning that today you might not pay anything at all but later you will. Right, another way, uh, the eighth example here is we have spoken about to do a lot, some kind of joint venture where you find a partner who puts in all the money. So this is of course slightly different to just a straight loan. The advantage is that they might bring more than just the money to the deal. They might bring skills, mortgage ability, they might uh, have brought the deal to the table in the first place. Uh, just ensure that you clarify what will happen if things go bad and try to document that because it's really great to be in a partnership when everything is fantastic and great. People change personalities when things get tough and in property guess what it usually does. Now and then. Alright, another way to do it is to do uh, where you purchase a property with uh, no money by exchanging them. So basically you exchange uh, on, a, on a very low amount of money. For example, exchange can be at any amount. 
meaning that you can have a, an exchange with a so-called delayed completion. And the exchange amount doesn't need to be 10%, it can be any consideration, for example a pound or very little money, which might not come from you. And then the completion might happen at a much later stage. Uh, same thing there. That gives you the time to enhance the property, uh, to do an uplift, so ultimately when it's time to buy it, you might have lifted the value so much so that you can get all the money out that you have used in the process and not put in one single pound to actually acquire it in the end. So to conclude, uh, whatever you're going to buy, try to always buy for cash flow because if you don't have cash flow you will end up having to pay for your investments as capital gain is one strategy but that is the, the more nice icing on the cake capital gain you need to ensure that even with some element of vacancy that you still net a positive cash flow it's so easy to have to pay for something that you think you will get paid for instead and that means that is not a no money down deal, that's a lot of money down deal uh, where you have to subsidize over and over and over uh, maybe even on a monthly basis you have to put money into your portfolio just to keep it so those were just a couple of ideas around no money down strategies specifically linked to property to use the same kind of structure linked to buying businesses it is not too rare that people buy a whole portfolio of businesses uh, or even a small business uh, which on the paper might look fantastic uh, or or not it's not too rare that companies buy a whole group of assets for just one pound why? Because it has been mismanaged, it might be just on the, on the edge to go into administration, it might have lots of overheads, debt, or simply the management is just tired of being tired and want to leave uh, the ship before it sinks. So with all of those things in mind, if you take the same, same kind of ideas again, obviously you can use borrow money to buy a business uh, depending on the assets uh, you got bridge facilities you got the bank and of course individuals or businesses that can help you out you can take control of a business without having to buy it you don't really have the same as like a, a, a lease but in a way you can contractually arrange a transaction almost like a lease where you ma maintain the control of a business and have the, the benefits but that's again that's a bit legally complicated I have on a few occasions taken over the debt of a business and uh, I've replaced the debt with in most cases other people's money and thereby either taking over the business or getting a controlling stake basically taking away the problem 
and often when that is the case and where business owners are willing that is often where they're pretty much on on plus minus zero or they might be even a bit into minus but i can see that i can enhance the value of the business uh, or i can complete a project which means that i will get back into uh, positive numbers again in, in an easy way it's not too rare that people change the keys to their businesses uh, so you can actually in a similar way as we spoke of property you can also swap businesses it's not so common but it's doable uh, there can be tax implications obviously linked to that uh, in a similar way uh, I can also absolutely see how you can earn the right for shares or even a whole business by your contribution, uh, your, your network, your distribution, your time, your knowledge, your, your services and often in, in that case you can actually get a, a big chunk of a business. And uh, sometimes just like with uh, the case where the seller in the property deal you might have the same scenario also here with a business where the business seller might not need to have all the money today it's usually more preferential to spread it out over multiple years so it might be uh, also combined with some kind of services uh, earn out but basically that the 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 money is basically lent to the business or to the new buyers and will be paid out by the business instead of the actual acquirer which is quite interesting so that's another great way how the business can pay, pay for the purchase assuming that it can spread out over a couple of years so the enhancements of the business can pay for this whole setup and um, I mentioned that I like to buy things below market value but sometimes to offer a higher price again makes sense um, and assuming that you can work with a, like a stage payment for example uh, offering more money in the future can work for some people so it depends on the cash flow today but again getting no money today if I would sell my business I'd like to have something today but it, at the same time I'm not desperate for money so if you can have double the money next year and nothing today I would probably go for that of course I would try to tie it up with, with legal documents so they can't just liquidate and just take the assets and they just walk away I would try to have some kind of security if I was to do something like that and uh, just like in property you can of course buy a business together as a partnership as a joint venture where different partners bring different things to the table right so yeah those are a couple of things i didn't cover the full list in mental list as as i just did uh, before and the same thing here what usually kills any business is lack of cash you might have a super asset rich business but if you don't have enough money to pay the staff the, the people that you owe money then all of a sudden the whole business can be folded in, in a very fast way uh, and creditors can be really tough and start legal actions very fast and usually when that happens 
that is restricting the owner's ways of, of freeing up capital. So any kind of like court uh, interaction um, or where you got pressure on a business that is usually almost like freezing some of the assets which means that the business owner might not be able to take a cheaper loan just a bridge loan on a, on a property for example because the asset might have been frozen and that's of course to safeguard the, the person who is the lender for example so that the, the borrower, the en business entity owners can't just pull the money out of the business and try to think about themselves alone right so that was a number of ways how you can buy property and businesses uh, more specifically using some of the techniques right we still have not covered the conversation how you can get money from different people but we'll come back into that soon so we are still on the dover calais crossing on this uh, cross europe podcast so to remind you we have so far covered England and we are very soon uh, embarking to France and from there we will go to Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, Holland, sorry that's Denmark coming up there after that and then we are into Sweden. Alright, so I'm pretty much into day two now in terms of not sleeping too much so we will see, I'll keep you posted. See you in France. Okay, this is the podcast which takes you all through Europe and also explores how does it work with this holy grail of investment called No Money Down. We now come to some of the challenges with No Money Down, which is you, your head, your mind, and your potentially limiting beliefs on your own capability or what should I call it yeah I'm not sure you might have some voices talking to you right now saying like ah you can't do this no 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 this is not for me uh, too good to be true uh, it must be a scam uh, it's a fraud no it's actually knowledge uh, just uh, like uh, for example Ty Lopez would say like knowledge um, <laughs> yeah it is around the mindset uh, if you believe you can if you believe you can't either way you're right so if you believe you will find a way to find money guess what you will so as I'm cruising here through the countryside uh, in France uh, I last to, to make a quick brown sorry brain dump onto you so if you think you can if you think you can't either way you're right what does that mean often linking to money what is a lot of money that is changing over your life it is linked to where you come from your your parents it's your surrounding and uh, you might think X amount of money is a lot of money. And you're true. You're absolutely true. Whatever is a lot of money to you is exactly that. 
it's a lot to you. Not trying to play with words here really, but in essence what might be a fortune to yourself might be very little to someone else. So therefore, if you think this is way too much money to ask for, guess what? You will never dare to ask in the first place. However, if you go to the right kind of people who might have the same amount of money beliefs, are you likely to get a lot of money from someone who think a lot of money is the same as your a lot of money? Not very likely. However, if you find someone who will assess money different to yourself, guess what? The whole story might be different. Assuming that a lot of money to you is £50,000 and you might come to me and discuss a deal and the total amount of money required to make this deal work is £50,000 and uh, I might have a different view of £50,000 where I have raised £50,000 quite a few times and also amounts considerably larger than £50,000 I might think well how hard can it be and just get on with it while you might think differently and the other way around you might be in, in a position where you talk about an investment and uh, I would never try to take people's life savings I would never take money which doesn't leave a buffer uh, and I would certainly wouldn't take any money from anyone which they can't afford to lose in the end of the day I'm just saying that to share how I think about this aspect of money so linked to the whole mindset is both of course what is a lot of money to you and to them another aspect is ethics do you believe that you're worthy of receiving money if you don't well guess what now we've got a big problem again if you don't believe in what you're proposing yourself that will shine through our minds are fantastic in terms of picking up signals if what you are saying and your body language is not coherent i.e. if you don't believe in your own story guess what the other person will pick up that, that something is wrong with this picture hence you're not genuine hence you're not trustworthy and with other words you have messed up before you even have even got close to closing the deal so you really need to believe in your own story and if you don't well it has to start there you need to make sure that you believe in the deal you believe in the story otherwise it's not even worth to discuss this and that hopefully will also act as a filter in terms of sense check that you can't trick people into things hopefully because your whole body will scream out loud that this is not genuine, I'm not trustworthy, etc. Uh, etc. Et so, one more time you need to believe in your own deal. And next is you have to get out of your own way. One way to do that is not to think how I can find this money, but who. So, if you allow 
people to understand what you're looking for, guess what? Other people can look on your behalf. There's so much more buying atmosphere when you're doing a subtle sale or an indirect sale. Asking basically who they know who might be interested. Which means they might be interested but you didn't ask them. You ask them who do they know who might be interested in something like this. Which gives them the choice and you don't put them on the spot. And also by asking someone, allowing them to know that I am in the business to find money for whichever product might be. Uh, and just allowing that to happen, to know what you're doing and allow people to help you by allowing people to understand what do you do, how do you do business, what's in it for other people. So just in the last week I had a fantastic introduction from uh, a person who I was approaching for finance and this person decided it is not the right time for me but this person met another person who was in a position where they are very cash rich and did a very positive introduction uh, as as is highlighted in, in the forthcoming book now Trust is New Currency a third person validation is really 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 key and it will always be a stronger case where someone else is saying like Fredrik Samuel is really good he's trustworthy I've been doing business with him instead of me saying exactly the same thing if I'm saying I'm trustworthy well of course you're saying that you like to do business with me uh, whereas if someone else is saying that uh, Frederick is trustworthy I've been doing repeat business with him uh, he's been repaying the interest and the principal in a timely manner and uh, to my best knowledge I've been knowing him having seen him from afar and also done this business with him for the last few years that I would give him money again I would even refer him to my own family imagine that testimonial instead of me trying to blow my own trumpet so get away from the question how can I find the money to focus more on who who can help you uh, and that will unlock uh, a whole different conversation this can of course also be leveraged through the reach of social media but be aware depending on where you are in the world you might have limitations in terms of how you can approach this aspect of finding potential investors in most parts of the world you just can't go to like the, the, the normal person ask for money why because the normal person might not have the buffers they might not have the resources and they might not be in a position that they can afford to lose the investment capital that is why in most cases in the world you might have some kind of system that helps to qualify people for example in the UK uh, a person who's uh, more of a sophisticated investor is someone who's uh, in in a company which is turning over director in a company which is turning over uh, one million pounds uh, a year, uh, or has got a salary of a hundred thousand uh, pounds, or uh, also assets excluding the home into the hundreds of thousands of pounds. 
whereas in the US, uh, slightly different, uh, you need to have an income of uh, at least 200,000 uh, pounds per year, uh, and that's dollars, so that's 200,000 uh, dollars per year, and not just one year, but actually two years uh, in a row. Uh, and there are other uh, clauses as well which applies to the US, but that's just to show a difference in terms of the income level. And then of course, it's not just the income, uh, it's also how financially literate are, are they. Because in the end of the day, you want to deal with people who are sophisticated, who can understand what you are proposing. You don't want to try to trick anyone into something that they don't want themselves. Now we have done a couple of key steps here. We have figured out that you need to mind your own business in your mind first uh, and then get out of your way, think about who can help you. The worst thing that can happen is a no, which is not that scary or strange after all. And those were just a couple of thoughts around how to deal with your mind. Also linked to your mind is how you learn new skills. So you have got on one side the, the unconscious competences uh, and then you got the conscious competences. You might have some blind spots in terms of what skills you have. You might have some gaps in, in your own confidence in yourself and that can luckily be fixed quite easily. And I mentioned a word earlier on in this little part here from France, which is knowledge. Knowledge is of course helping with the confidence. Uh, knowledge turns to action, gives you experiences. Uh, experiences gives you more confidence, learnings, and um, eventually you will have accumulated enough so that you hopefully feel more experienced and uh, you can come across as more trustworthy. Uh, of course when I'm doing this from a business point of view I will always scrutinize the, the person and the deal and the company. So what is the deal is the same as the product uh, if you do like uh, any kind of normal purchase what is the person behind the deal and what is the company so you need to dig into all of those three levels so therefore if you flip that on its head so now you are being scrutinized would your deal stack up would your company stack up and would yourself stack up and if you can tick all of those three boxes again that would add to your own belief in yourself I might state the absolutely obvious here but trust me I've seen this over and over where people don't dare to ask for money so therefore regardless the deal and it's so often to, to hear from experienced people that just need to find just in inverted commas need to find a great deal and the money will call, follow I'm really sorry to break the news that is not true if you don't ask for the money have the right network or connections to position your proposal guess what you will never find the money and if you 
are faltering on you don't have the right company or team around the deal, that won't work either. Just to take a very recent experience, applying for a, a development finance in, in, in the region of two million pounds. If the right team with the right experiences would not be in place, it will be impossible to get a level of financing. Uh, so what can you do? Well, I'm adding all the property projects I've been involved in together with developers, together with the architect, together with uh, potentially the main builder and all of a sudden the lender can see that, okay, fine, these guys have jointly got the experiences to deliver this project to completion and the evidence of that is in their past track record. So assuming that you don't have a track record, well, it's super simple. You have to find partners who can substantiate that. Alright, uh, and now looking into the actual company, which is linked to another story, but I'll mention it uh, as, as part of the mindset. You have to believe in your own company, and part of doing that is, of course, to ensure that everything is in order. The books, that you've got your power team in place, the accountant and everything else. If you don't believe in your own deal, your own team, yourself, your uh, company, you can't pitch it in a professional way because it will shine through. Right, so that was a few ideas around mindset and I do apologize if the audio quality is not fantastic. This is being recorded as I am uh, driving through France. So, you will have a new chunk of uh, details as soon as I pass the border uh, into Belgium. So, welcome to Belgium. It doesn't take money to make money. No money down. Advice from Belgium, number one. It takes courage to, to make money. As an entrepreneur, as an investor, you use your courage. You take a risk, a calculated risk, to make something good, to change the status quo. Ultimately, you need to have the courage to ask for other, other people's money. And this, my friend, is the name of the game. Do you have the courage to dare to work with other people's money so that you can do a no money down deal? It's a very important question and uh, I often uh, state and it's 100% true, I treat other people's money more carefully than my own. Why? Because I owe it to anyone I work with, and if I work with their funds, uh, obviously that's a completely different thing to lose other people's money than your own. Because I, I could not stand with not repaying what is due. And full disclaimer, and uh, I have. 100% track record on repaying all debt to date and uh, until 2018 I have always repaid on time 
for the first time ever I have missed a deadline and I want you to know that no one is perfect I'm absolutely perfect I'm learning and uh, I like to share why that was the case so the courage in this case and uh, the experience uh, backfired it was as simple as this I had I usually have two to three uh, ways how to secure up the funding because the experience is that people do pull out in the last second and because we got a flow of deals that means I can overfund and still accept funds and put that towards another project should I wish and in this case many people did let me down even people who signed the dotted line and the contract uh, changed their minds in the last second before drawing down the funds which was in the end of the day agreed and I allow them to even if we contractually have an agreement that they would have to pay me the money upon my wish to do so according to the loan agreement I allow them not to and many people did let me down which ultimately made me have to come back to the lender and apologize obviously and take the blame and additional fees for messing up. I'm saying this, sharing this just to show that nothing is for certain. Uh, obviously this has been resolved and uh, I am very pleased to say that I still have 100% track record in terms of paying but I have now had a little blip on my track record and that can happen to any of us and the best way to work around that is to have cash reserves and that cash reserve uh, is of course it should be linked to the size of your business so even if I say no money down you should always have a backup so that you can actually do put your money down if worst come to worst. My funds is out working all over the place and uh, therefore obviously I did a mistake and that is how it is. So please learn from my mistakes so you don't need to do the same. Have multiple options in terms of other people's money because people do change their mind and they do change their mind sometimes in the last second and that was advice number one plus the bonus one on the back of that uh, this is from Belgium the Sun is slowly starting to get up here and uh, European time it's now 7:30 UK time 6:30, and we will just carry on the journey Belgium, idea number two, and it's all linked to money. There has never been more money in the world than today. And on the day where you listen to this, there's even more money. Why? Because so many countries all around the world is printing money. You have inflations in most inflation most countries across the globe, which means that the money is decreasing in value and the banks are printing new ones uh, real money and digital money 
steal a quote from uh, one of the people I think uh, got great ideas linked to business and his name is Grant Cardone. He often says, who has got my money? And that's just a great, great way to link to the topic that we talk about, like no money down, working with other people's money, and the question, who has got my money? So who has got my money? I need to think hard and allow people to know that I actually, I'm not hungry for other people's money whatsoever. I come from a very different angle. I come from prosperity. I come from affluence. I come from opportunities. So I often come with a silver plate. Would you like to have some of the profits? I'm not asking or begging for the money. I'm offering investment opportunities. If you come as a beggar with a hat in hand, you're very unlikely to get any money. If you come with a silver plate and asking people around you, would like to have some of my surplus? Guess what? The question, who has got my money, can guide you to make a list of people you like to offer that money. For example, it's fantastic to offer our own dad part of the profits from our operations. Why? He has invested in us, which means we can reward him. Not only once, but over and over and over. And happy customers will come back to you. And it's so often why you can actually grow your stock of investors. And you can have people queuing up. You can be oversubscribed terms of your deals assuming that you do a good enough job and you communicate with the people that are working with you so who's got my money who's got your money think about it create the list and uh, excuse sales language but work that list and uh, who knows who would like to have some of your surplus of course you have to have a surplus otherwise don't believe in your own deals as we just talked about when we spoke about mindset. Okay, another idea from Belgium is you need to be aware about what is legal and what is not legal. There are quite a few rules and regulations. For example, in the US, you need to be aware of what the SEC is stating, and in the UK, we've got FCA doing something very similar. Basically, sorting out that promotions and sale of securities and investments are done in a way that is not harming people who are not in the same level of sophistication as one might want. Often, try and protect potential lenders from or investors from the broader public and try to narrow down that a lot of these products can only be marketed and sold to more sophisticated investors as mentioned before. For example something called collective investment scheme 
which is sometimes where you try to pool resources and that can quite easily be done in, in the wrong way be moving into regulated area so just be aware of your local rules what you can and can't do partner up with people who has got the knowledge in this space for example with one of the businesses I'm dealing with uh, we are 100% working under the umbrella of FCA which means we have got uh, compliance uh, people working etc etc another top tip is if you are looking for other people's money then really what you need more than anything is to understand this is a matter of selling influencing helping and supporting and you have to have activity or there will be nothing I can with big certainty say that every time where I've not been raising the finance as I should in a timely manner for whatever the reason it has been linked to activity level when I put in the time to focus on the right things uh, I have without exceptions had uh, a great result so how can you control that well there are always a couple of key steps involved in terms of what we talk about imagine being on the other side you got a, a larger chunk of money that you consider to invest with someone else and uh, and therefore you need to recognize every single step from number of interactions with each uh, potential person to of course the number of people you speak to it's very uh, obvious and it's really easy to see are you lying to yourself or not so how many people do you actually talk to I have given the super basic task to so many people to just write a list of potential investors and then once you have the list to talk to those potential investors and I'm, I'm just guessing here that because it might be so uncomfortable to contact all of these people that seven out of the ten won't even make the list in the first place because guess what it might be embarrassing if you, you talk to them and they say no and then of the last three who actually did the list I would say a fraction actually starts to do anything to the list and I can almost guarantee out of 10 people no one will contact everyone on their list luckily there are exceptions to my super generalization here but activity trumps thoughts in this case you need to do something to win it so I hope that's, that's clear you can also of course track this uh, when I work with uh, sales performance with top brands we tracked the numbers even for like big consulting partners who you think they must really be on top of their game I was a consulting partner myself I was reporting on my activity to the MD and he could just very clearly see the link between 
number of effective conversations on the phone, number of sales meetings, number of proposals to the close and also deal size. And that was really interesting to observe as uh, I became sharper and sharper over the, the years there. So from year one to year two, more than double the sales. Uh, and then into year three, again, more than doubling the sales. And when, when I left, I had well into a six-figure salary plus shares and options uh, just linked to performance basis. And I was so sure about I will deliver that I said, you don't even need to give me a salary. So I was working on straight commission, still making six figures salary uh, in, in consulting. That's really rare and probably doesn't make sense if you've got a family to support. But I was so confident and that's ultimately why the no risk, high potential win, uh, how I got into the business in the first place. So you have to have activity level, ideally track your activity so you can learn from your own stats and see how you get better and better over time and also you can therefore tweak the ratio between different activities. And you will ultimately be able to analyze your numbers. Uh, an interesting book on this topic to read is uh, by uh, Frank uh, Betker. It's uh, called How I Raise Myself from Failure to Success. It's a sales book from the, the 1920s, 1930s in the, in the US where the salesperson came from a failure in sports and an injury, moved into sales, completely uh, lacked skills and talent, but the person started to track the statistics and all of a sudden doing that allowed him to focus on the right ways of uh, having the right activity level. Well, spoiler alert, uh, you can guess uh, how it all ended by tracking and maintaining a log of what he was doing. He was able to outperform everyone in the whole country in the field of sales. So yeah, might be some uh, truth in what I say, so feel free to try to track what you do. In Sweden we have got a radio show called morning in the nature and uh, now and then it's really fun where you can hear the host just like huh stop did you hear that or even funnier like oh did you see that obviously you can't see it because it's a radio show and uh, as I'm speaking three two one huh did you see that no, of course you didn't. I didn't see it either. Uh, you just virtually now cross the border between Belgium into Netherlands. And uh, now let's dive back in again to more ideas around investing with no money down. We covered quite a few things already. I have not run out of ideas, but I have to be creative to come up with the next one, especially since I hit play. Three, two, one. Here comes another thought. One reason why 
no money down deals are so exciting is that it forces you to be more creative it forces you to be more solutions driven uh, it, it very much inviting you to search problems and usually the bigger the problem the bigger the pay what does that mean I have been taught this long time ago that I say it one more time the bigger the problem the bigger the pay because the the bigger the problem or the bigger the deal the less competition usually it means that it's more complicated uh, it also means many other things for example that you uh, have to push yourself have you heard about the term comfort zone yes of course you have so comfort zone is really the space where you feel comfortable it's like a thermostat in a room which makes sure it's not too hot not too cold in Swedish we call it logo which means just about right just perfect and outside your comfort zone is hmm, let's call it the uncomfort zone another way to call it is the learning zone uh, I did not come up with uh, calling it the learning zone I can't even remember where I heard it the first time and in this learning zone the the, the more you push yourself to be in this learning zone the more you stretch the, the space which you can control you can't really control it but at least you can make your best effort when I was working with management consulting one of the models we used to call it the CIA model I have been working with CIA operatives in, in some parts of the world uh, Bosnia and uh, Pakistan just to mention too so CIA doesn't stand for Central Intelligence Agency it stands for control influence and accept if you think about uh, that as you got like uh, an, an onion so right in the center there you got stuff that you can control and ultimately the only thing that you can control and it's not easy to control is your thoughts you might think you can control your spouse uh, you're kidding yourself you might uh, think you can control other things you might or might not be right there are outside that little tiny circle another circle which is called the I as in influence influencing is just like it sounds it's usually linked to other people so you can influence other people around you taking as one example the whole conversation with a potential investor that is very much in the space of influencing I would say what you can control in that space is you can control where you meet possibly or you influence about that you can control the, the time unless it's influenced by someone else so the more you push yourself outside your comfort zone the more you expand these two rings and they actually get slightly wider as you push yourself and push yourself and push yourself the outer circle is the 
things that you just simply have to accept. What are examples of things that you, as a normal person, have to maybe accept? Let's take one, which is called the weather. Another one might be the fact that you got a, a president in another country or your country. It might be that the population has chosen to vote for Brexit. Those are three things which are hard to influence. Humankind have made efforts to try to control uh, the weather. There are ways how that can be done in part. So that's how we can expand the, the influence into things we just have to accept. But if you spend your time more on things you actually can control and things you actually can influence and less of things you just have to accept. So for example, reading the news about what happened yesterday, that is stuff we basically have to accept. It's past, it's history, it has already happened and occurred. There's no use to get upset about it uh, or even to waste time about it. Whereas thinking about your own state of mind, how are you controlling your thoughts are they productive? Are they positive? Are they negative? Do you just allow the thoughts to wander away? And same with your activity level. Is that something you can control? Yeah, most likely. You can physically decide to pick up the telephone. Or not. So the CAA model helps you uh, to understand that the more time you spend in the more productive zones, what you control, what you can influence, is of course a better investment in terms of how you use the time which is available and avoiding the stuff which we just can accept. So those were a few thoughts around how you can stretch outside the comfort zone. I'd like to come back to, again, different kind of problems. Now, quite a few people are doing similar things to myself, and I would say the most successful ones are not necessarily the people that decide to, to do the problem solving themselves. But actually, if you can pull together and coordinate other people's efforts, using leverage obviously, you can actually find even better solutions. And I find that uh, inspirational to see how people get uh, a team together. I would like to use uh, the example of, from, from Special Forces. You might or might not know that uh, Special Forces is uh, where you put together a team for a designated task. It's also interesting to see the team size. Uh, a lot of research has gone into really the, the, the perfect team size in the workspace and also in the military. And uh, I find it interesting that the team size in, in a niche unit where you can really optimize things is usually smaller than the army. The task is slightly different, yeah. Our, our normal army unit is usually eight people, whereas very often, different parts of the world, the special forces unit is often either six or seven people. 
inside uh, special forces unit you, you have uh, a leader obviously you got depending on what kind of task you got different weapon systems and uh, tech that people carry with them and the supplies so they can survive for a long time you also got uh, a medic so you can be self sustainable and, and, and manage really tough situations uh, behind enemy lines you can also have a person carrying the radio and the list goes on and why do I mention this well the specialists in your team is really the, the specialists and the specialists are the people who can really help you you might have a solicitor for example you might have someone else to help you and in the end of the day you you need to have often uh, someone who's really good with the numbers and the details you also need to have someone who is really great at uh, helping out with the legals and then you might need to have someone again depending if it's business or if it's property whatever it is other specialists so in in the, in the book trust is new currency we refer to it as the trailblazer is very much the leader of the project who's, who's blazing a trail uh, and might bring lots of energy uh, lots of positivism uh, can-do attitude uh, and then this person is having at least one specialist who can really contribute with the specialist knowledge and then uh, some kind of deal maker the person who can sort out the sale the trade the timing etc and then you might have lots of other doers around them you might also have duplicates different kind of specialism are required So, you can often come up with a much better solution, assuming that you can be working as a uniform team, than if you yourself are sorting out the problem solution. That, of course, depends on your skill level, uh, interests, and so on. I'm just sharing that as a thought. You don't have to do everything yourself. You might recall I mentioned earlier that it's not how to do it, but who. So as a leader for problem solution is like who else do I need to engage to find the best possible solution for this and if that is not sufficient still or yet who else who else who else what else can we do to bring this into a better solution okay I hope you found that little one uh, useful uh, that one uh, was uh, shared as I'm passing uh, through Einhoven in the Netherlands. Okay, one more thing. And I will say that more than one more time before we have reached Sweden, obviously. Still in the Netherlands or Holland. And now the advice is very much linked to due diligence. Uh, you are obviously very much responsible for doing the analysis on the deal which is at hand as part of uh, finding something. I would highly recommend that you and the potential investor are doing some due diligence on each other. Just think about the super basics. You can very quickly just check uh, with a Google search what pops up. And uh, because of the nature of, of the business, 
people who are in a position of uh, high net worth or in a higher level of income usually are uh, directors of companies not too rarely because of multiple income streams they might even have multiple companies so companies house or uh, searching uh, in your own country in the database can absolutely make sense can you find anything negative uh, how do they present themselves in social media I've already mentioned social media from your own point of view how you position yourself but how does the other party position themselves so you can absolutely do diligence on that and partnerships can be complicated don't jump into bed just because you need to have the money ideally think about with clarity if you like to do a no money down deal and it's some kind of like joint venture which is one of the options mentioned earlier if that's the case ensure that it's not only the money that the other part is bringing and uh, if if it is just the money uh, is that really how you like to have it because you you might miss the trick and lose out of lots of opportunities especially if you got a, a business savvy person why why just the money especially if you're in a business I always advise against just taking money from investors when you can get anything more it can be as simple as just for them to safeguard their investment that they share or like uh, news from the business it might be that they introduce potential customers so they might add their network to the deal if it's a business as an example it can also mean that you work with uh, in terms of property that they might have other skills I got multiple investors who got more experience within developments than I do in, in certain areas of, of developments and obviously that can be very helpful they can point out things that you might have missed etc etc also be mindful about how will this be managed and led you maybe don't want to give away the control who will take decisions is it uh, some uh, kind of democracy is uh, the veto there or not there are many things to consider in terms of surrendering control of business which is something I generally advise against so if you really 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 want to make things work ensure that it also will work for the long haul as um, partnerships can turn sour especially when things get tough uh, if any expectation or, or KPI is not met uh, delays uh, overrunning in terms of costs how will that be managed that's one reason why I very much prefer in many cases to have a, a straight fixed contract with a fixed return uh, and, and more risk on, uh, on our side so to speak but it's of course different sometimes the other party brings the deal and they, they like to see it through that's of course also a possibility but every deal is unique why do I say that even if you've got a standard way to do deals the deal is unique because investments business and property they're all 
people businesses. And people can change, and people do change, and people behave in different ways in different settings. And people's motivation can also change over time. So all I'm saying, do the due diligence on the person behind the deal. And also try to find out what is the real motivator. Okay, so beyond that, it's really nice to firm up with contracts. How will you deal with uh, if someone would like to leave the deal? Will you just do like a straight valuation and then some kind of like preferential way to, to buy the person out? Uh, you got in, in, uh, in the UK the legal term good lever and bad lever. So where, for example, a bad lever might have done something even illegal or, or really bad for the business. How to deal with that really can, for example, be sorted out in a shareholder agreement, assuming that it's, uh, it's a joint uh, equity uh, project with shares. Uh, otherwise, it can be another agreement, for example, a joint venture agreement. I prefer to have this done or at least checked by a solicitor. Uh, just to check that the, the terms make sense and are clear from a legal point of view. First you need to decide between yourselves what have you agreed and then you can have it translated to legal language so that if it ever comes to that it can become enforceable both ways. It's usually much 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 easier and cheaper for everyone assuming that you do the work first, you flush out all the ideas, the details, so that that does not need to be done in dialogue with one or multiple uh, corporate solicitors, which adds to the bill and the cost in, in a substantial way. Okay, so those were two more things to the list. Let's start with one of the advantages with Germany, which is called Autobahn. Some parts of uh, the German road works uh, have got uh, yeah, a variable speed, so to speak. You're allowed to drive much faster than uh, in pretty much anywhere else in Europe. What does that mean? Well, one aspect, you can say that you are uh, creating uh, higher speed means save time. You can also think that that means higher risk, more accidents. To my understanding they don't have more accidents here than in other countries. While I'm guess guessing the average speed on Autobahn is probably 50% higher than many other countries. Yeah, now and then you get really big queues. Right, so what does this got to do with no money left in well, I mentioned time and money, a speed of money before that you can use and recycle the money at a higher pace. For me, that, that's really, really key. If you force appreciation of a, of a business or of a property, that means in all simplicity that you can use the money over and over and over. Just imagine the difference if you do uh, two deals with the same amount of money in one year or if you spend 
eight years to get the money out once. That means you can actually use the same money, assuming that you're still motivated, 16 times or once. As my son Ivan usually says it, which would you rather to do it one time or 16 times? Well, basically it means you can end up having 16 houses where you don't have investor funds left in, or you can have one. Well, I know certainly which one I would pick. We have a number of examples where we have used the money for less than a half year. I think one of the best cases was uh, a flip, buying uh, a flat and uh, pooling up resources between myself, my brother Matthias and uh, another uh, friend. Basically buying a flat, refurbishing it and selling it. From time of virtual viewing to purchase fixing it and selling it less than three months and in this particular case the return on cash was more than 100% of investor funds so it means that in that year if you just would repeat that deal you would have close to 400% return cash on cash for that year now you can see how the speed and knowing the details what to do uh, is having a huge impact. There are many other reasons why that deal was uh, particularly good. It was almost like a cookie cutter approach where you can just repeat what has been done already in the same building previously. Alright, so time of money is really key. Another aspect is just time and money and the actual deal. Sometimes you really need to have the money lined up at a certain time or the money is not making any use because someone else will pick up the same deal. If the deal is good enough you need to be fast to commit, fast to find the money and fast to uh, complete the transaction. All of that means of course that in any kind of deal making and also negotiation to have the money available at the right time maybe even before the deal is even struck that gives you leverage and power in any kind of negotiation in a similar way if you know that you can do this with your own funds instead of investor funds that also gives you a great flexibility so you don't end up doing deals with the wrong people there is a saying in Germany and it is Ordnung muss sein which means you need to have things in order and that absolutely applies to these kind of deals that we're talking to talking about you need to have the documentation right you need to have the numbers right uh, you need to have things lined up in in a good way not saying that you it, does need to be perfect but it needs to be better than good enough and it needs to be right to the highest level you can how you can customize the message so it's uh, best understood think about it you might have heard treat other people the way you like to be treated what if 
we take it to the next level and try to customize the message and the way we communicate like this. Treat other people the way they like to be treated. That is the gold standard of, of communication and this will help you to come across as, for example, very cheerful. There are many, many different ways how to profile people. And uh, one is uh, a variation of uh, the disk system and that is linked to you might have a, a dominant person so that's very much cutting to the chase you might have a, a people person that's very much with with the bonding and, and low risk you might have uh, someone who is very much high energy and that is more linked to the fun and the connection and then of course you got the detailed person where you need to present the logic so they can make their own conclusion so that's just customizing the message so it works the best way for the receiver okay so we have got now another update from Denmark and I would like to talk about values so the foundations uh, underlaying which are very important to us values very much drive uh, the habits and the behaviors on Twitter. In this particular case, talking about how you can work with someone else, try to find out what is really important to the other person. What do they value most? How do they relate to their values together with risk? And how does it all fit? together. One of those small bits and pieces uh, are uh, really 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 important to get right. And now it's time to take a little pause because I need to pay a congestion charge here after passed over a bridge. So I'll be back in a moment. Carrying on with the values and in this case I like to mention also what's really really important to someone and we often prefer carrots prior to sticks so how can you figure out what kind of carrots you like to have for your uh, investor or business partner and uh, you probably would like to have different kinds of treats whatever they might be Alright, so values really important, uh, what's most important to people, and also understanding what their life is all about, if they've got a family or not, if they are married to work, or if they have got other relationships and priorities in life. All of this is of course linked to hopefully sharing mutual goals in life, but also setting joint goals for this project. I'd like to pull in some details from uh, also from the Trust's new currency book, and uh, they're talking about having a clear purpose for the investment, having also a, a proper project setup, and uh, last but not least, having the right people in the deal, and that gives performance. And that is of course very much linked to the values and the goals and the vision. So, yeah, there we go. I'll throw in two 
bonus thoughts from Denmark. Number one, obviously, you can use another asset which might be unencumbered or a very low loan to value, for example, your own home. It's really cheap money to refinance money from your home to use for investments. Sometimes, ironically, it's quite fun because if you say to the bank that you will actually use the money for investments, they will say, oh, no, 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 that is very risky. You are, however, really welcome to take a loan to, to waste it, to buy a car or to spend it, that's fine, but to buy, uh, buy to let. No, 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 that's really risky. Very strange indeed. And one more advice is if you have got a business, you can of course also get a, a business loan. So everything from a business loan to uh, overdrafts to credit cards, there are many ways how you can release some additional deposit or refurb money or business funds if that's what you're looking for. Okay, and now let's uh, talk about uh, two core components of this kind of transaction. They are security and uh, they are commitment. So the level of security, as already mentioned, we have also got the, the level of commitment from both parties or all involved parties. They're really, really essential to make anything like this to work. So as, as I'm recording this one, I have uh, one loan agreement outstanding with uh, someone else for review with a solicitor and ultimately it felt like proper solid commitment. Uh, everything should be agreed in principle. But every time this is happening and working like this, I, uh, I don't believe it until the money is in the bank. That sounds maybe a bit uh, sad but it is a large amount of money for many people and people do get second thoughts and cold feet and not too rarely pull out in the last second so security and commitment very important factors thank you for listening this has been episode 30 of invest in you and uh, I will force Charlotte to listen to this one more time because I think there's so many interesting things in this. Uh, but we will see if you actually will do that or not. Yep, we will. <laughs> yes, we will. I'll, I'll download it and plug it into your ears so you have to learn it again. Uh, brain transplant. <laughs> so as part of the brain transplant plant, brain transplant pack is uh, this uh, episode 30 that you can revisit later and also you can probably find a few nuggets in the show notes so this has been invest in you the podcast with the longest episode so far it was the, the marathon and road trip london to sweden by car surely please come back don't run away any final thoughts uh once again poor daddy um <laughs> How many countries were you in? Uh, a couple. A couple. Yep. Thank you for listening. Five star review, as you know. You know the drill. Take care. Bye.